Our scripture passage today comes from the gospel according to Luke. Some chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. Before we read this, let's pause for a moment in prayer. Good and gracious Father, we thank you that you have given us your word to teach us, instruct us, to give us the guidance that we so desperately need in life. Father, but we know that none of these things written here we can understand fully unless you are also to instruct us. Father, we pray that same spirit that illuminated these words would illuminate our hearts today, that we may hear, that we may read, and that we may understand. Lord, bless this holy reading of your holy word, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. Listen now to the word of the Lord. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a slave who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his slave. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am unworthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I do not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my slave be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me, under me. and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is a park in Cornwall over in England that has an interesting sculpture displayed. It's these brass statues of two men, and the name of the statue is Loot and Extortion. One of the statues has got like this uh, um, crowbar, and the other one has a gun, and they're holding their hand out. And one is called Loot, one is called Extortion. And what's interesting about these statues is that they are dedicated to Her Majesty's Internal Revenue Service. That is the same equivalent as ours, the IRS, the people who take taxes. And they've got these statues, and one is named Loot, and one is named Extortion. And the message of the artist is pretty clear. What the artist is trying to tell us with this statue is that taxation is the same thing as theft. Taxation and theft, the same thing. One's taken by a thief, the other one is taken by the government. And, and it illustrates uh, just a great conflict that people have had with taxes probably since, well, probably since they've ever had taxes. 
And arguing the distinction between theft and taxes can often be difficult. I mean, take what a thief does. He comes and he takes your money by force. You don't want to give him your money. But he comes and he forces you through threat and fear to give him your money. Now, the government, they take your money too. And we very, very rarely want to give them our money. But it's a little bit of a fear that we have because they too also have the force to punish us. So what's the difference? Is there a difference between taxation and regular run-of-the-mill theft? I believe there is a difference. There is. But you can't understand the difference unless you know the difference first between power and authority. And to understand the distinction between power and authority is to understand why taxation and theft are two different things. Now, under power, power simply means the ability to do something. Anytime you do something, you've got to have the power to do it. Got a power to drive, got a power to lift something up, the power, the ability to do a house. If I just want to walk across the stage, I have to do that under my, my power to walk. So power is simply the ability to do something. Now, authority is different. Authority is the right to exercise that power. So you have power, the ability to do something, and authority, the right to exercise that power. Let me give you an example of how it works. If uh, an intruder, an armed intruder, were to kick down the door of your house, he'll find himself with the power to take your belongings, the power to take from you what belongs to you. So he's got power, but he doesn't have authority because he's exercising that power illegally. Now you, on the other hand, could be standing at the steps in your pajamas, and you have all the authority in the world to have to exercise power over your property, but you might not have the power. Now, however, I do recognize this is Lexington County, and I know a lot of the houses are packing some heat in it, so I'm willing to bet most of you have both the power and the authority over the property in your house. So here's the difference between taxation and theft. The thief has the power to take your money. The government has the authority to take your money. Now I know I can see some of y'all looking at me like, well, I don't know if they've really got the authority. I mean, it's technically could be unconstitutional for them to take our money. And I, yes, I realize there is a debate. There's a gray area. And that's where our political differences come is recognizing what exactly the government has authority to do. There's actually a big fight in the Supreme Court about it right now. You might have heard about it this week. But it's arguing about what exactly the government has in terms of authority. But whatever you think about the government and their right to tax and their authority, you get the picture, right? You get the point, the difference between power and authority. Now, this distinction is not just important for understanding political life. It's also very important in our faith life. It's understanding power and authority. Because almost all of us here today, I'm willing to bet, recognize the power of Jesus. That he had the power to do many great things. He could heal the sick. He could walk on water. He could command storms. He can rise from the dead. That's very, very powerful. But we don't always recognize his authority. 
We always don't recognize the authority of Jesus, his right to exercise power over our life. But if we're disciples of Jesus, and we're serious about being disciples of Jesus, and that means not just living, recognizing the power of Christ, it means living under the authority of Jesus. Recognize his authority over us and living with his authority over our life. Now, the passage I read to you today is classified as, as a miracle story. And it's a wonderful story. When we read these stories, the miracles, we're always thinking about the power of Jesus. But the story we read to you today is not a story about power. The story of the healing of the centurion slave is a story about authority. It's about authority of Jesus and the authority of Jesus being recognized by the main character in this story, besides Jesus. And that's the centurion. He's a Gentile. That means he's a pagan. He's not even Jewish. And yet he is the one that recognizes the authority of Jesus in this story. Now, if you don't know what a centurion is, is he is, he is a Roman soldier. And as the story opens up, you have this centurion, this Roman soldier that's there as part of the occupation of Israel. And he has a slave, and it said the slave was very valuable to him. And when I read this story, I take it to mean not value in terms of money or the work he does, but this, this man had a lot of affection for this slave. He was dear to him. And so he wanted this, wanted this, this slave was sick. He was near death, and he wanted to seek a healing for this man that, uh, that even though he served him, meant a lot to the centurion. And so we heard Jesus was in town, and he sent the elders, of the, the Jewish elders of the town, to go ask Jesus on his behalf to come and heal his slave. Now, this is already kind of a unique situation because the Roman centurions were not liked that much in Israel. And if you remember your history, Israel at this time was being occupied by the Romans. They were actually occupied as a client kingdom, but that's not important. What's important to know is the Romans were, were foreign invaders and they were exercising power over the Israelites as an occupying army. And a centurion was, a, was an officer. He's a Roman army officer. And, but instead of having a lot of friction between the population, this centurion had made friends. And he was well received and he was loved by the community. And you can tell that, that he had recognized something in the Jewish population that he really admired. Uh, maybe it was their faith that he liked. Maybe it was their traditions. Or maybe he thought they were holy people, but he made friends with the local population. And the elders said, Jesus, you should do this for him because he's a good man. He loves us. He said he loves our nation, and he actually built a synagogue for us. So you have this centurion who has kind of fallen in love with the Jewish people, maybe, maybe integrated a little bit with them, and he's developed this respect for them. And he recognizes that, even among the Jewish people, this man they call Jesus stands out over and above them. And he knows this is the one that could bring healing to my slave. So, so he sends for Jesus, but before Jesus can even come into his house, he sends friends to say, look, don't even bother coming in my house. Not because I don't want you, because you're too holy. You're too good of a person, and I am not that great of a person, and I don't want you to dirty yourself by coming into my house. He does something, though, incredible here, and this is where he recognizes Jesus' authority. 
He says, you can do this, what I'm asking for, and you don't even have to walk into my house because I know that you have the authority to do this. This is what he tells him. He says, I am also a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. Another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does this. And so he says, Jesus, you don't even need to come into my house because you have the authority to do this from afar. And the response from Jesus is amazing. Now, the first thing he does, of course, is heal the servant. But more importantly, he marvels. He marvels at the faith of the centurion. Because the faith the centurion had was not about Jesus' power. He's not saying, Jesus, I know you're so powerful that you can do this from afar, that, that your healing aura is so great, and, you're, and, and you can just go, make it go so far that you can touch him from a distance, and you can touch my slave from wherever you are. It's not about that. He's recognizing what Jesus has is not so much power, but authority. You have the authority to do this from a long distance. And it's this recognition of authority that amazes Jesus. It's this recognition of authority that has Jesus stopping and saying, you know what? I haven't even found this much faith in Israel. That's how amazing this is. My own people, the holy ones of God, I have not yet seen this amount of faith in them that I'm seeing in this centurion here. And again, note, it's not that Jesus has the power to heal. The centurion has seen this before. There have been faith healers, well, since the very beginning. The Romans had doctors that had the power to heal, just like our doctors today have the power to heal. They do it through medicine, through training, through the, uh, the application of their trade. But, but theirs is like this, it's like a fight and a struggle with the disease. We're going to try this, this doesn't work, we're going to try that. And, and there's a struggle and a fight and a power over the disease because a doctor doesn't have authority over a disease think about the distinction again power the ability to do something the authority the right to exercise that power because if a doctor had the power over your disease then he could command the disease to go away cancer be gone heart disease be gone and because he has authority would have to do it our doctors don't have that authority but jesus does not always the power, but also authority to go with it. And so this centurion, in recognizing Jesus' authority, recognizes that there is something marvelous in Jesus. That he's more than a healer. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a teacher. That Jesus has got a, a power and authority that belongs to someone only who is in a very, very high position in the world. And I would go so far to say that this centurion is extremely close into figuring out who Jesus really is. Because he recognizes his authority. And this is something even the disciples don't know yet. This is just Luke chapter 7. We haven't gotten to Peter's confession yet. But here is a centurion now recognizing Jesus having authority over diseases. And you've got to be more than a healer to have that. Do we recognize that same authority? We recognize his power. 
readily acknowledge Jesus as being very, very powerful, but do we recognize his authority? And what I mean by that, his authority over our life. His authority over us. You know, we, we have a lot of mys in our culture. This is mine. This is my life. This is my money. This is my house. This is my choice. This is my body. These are my rights. This is my privilege. Belongs to me. You got no rights over it. You can't take it from me. But if we're really under authority, if we are truly under the authority of Christ, then there is no such thing as mine. Because everything we have belongs to him. Everything we have belongs to him. Our money, our property, our house, our body, our mind, our soul, our children, our very life. They all belong to Jesus. When we recognize his authority, we're recognizing that he has the right to do with us whatever he wants. He has the right to do with, as he will with what we are, what, who we are, and whatever we have. Again, it's not about him having the power to do that. It's about Christ having the right to exercise that power over us. And we recognize this, and we accept it, it radically changes the dynamic of our relationship between Jesus and ourselves. It radically changes the dynamic of our faith. Because if you think most of the times we complain against God, most of the times that we you know, have a beef with Him or feel a separation, it's because God is doing something we don't feel is right. He's wronged us in some way. What we're doing is we're questioning his authority in our life. We're questioning his exercising his authority in our life. We'll say, Lord, you know, I've worked so hard. I've done right. I think I deserve this, whatever this is. Is that so bad? And, you know, maybe you're right. But usually the way we question his authority the most, though, is when we see what he gives other people and not us. I mean, come on, Lord, I've worked just as hard as him. Why does he get the bigger house? Why does he get the better job? Why does he get to go on better vacations than me? I deserve it just as much as he does. Or maybe you just like him more than me. And maybe you're right. Maybe you've got a great argument. Maybe everything you say is 100% accurate and you deserve it completely. But what you don't have is the right because when we take Christ as our Lord we give him the authority of our life that's what we've agreed to that's what Lord means sometimes we just say it Lord and Savior we don't think about the Lord part we love the Savior part but the Lord part means we have given him authority over our life and he's got it anyway it's just a matter of recognizing it Jesus has the authority to give and the authority to take away. He has the authority to bless whom he chooses and the authority to withhold the blessing as well. And there's so many rough spots in our faith that can be smoothed out simply by acknowledging 
the authority of Christ in our life. Simply by acknowledging that the authority belongs to him and that it is not our own, that our life and all we have belongs to him and is not our own, and he can use it and should use it for his purpose, for his glory. And, and to accept this takes so many obstacles away in our faith. There's a peace of mind, a, a peace of heart, a peace of soul that comes when we acknowledge and begin to accept the authority of Jesus in our life. So just admit, Jesus, you've got the authority, and I'm going to try to stop fighting with you about it. I'm going to try to accept this, starting now. And it's a hard thing to do. It is. It's, it's a hard concept to even to come to grips with, to give Christ the authority in your life. And if you don't think it's hard, then you probably don't understand what I'm talking about. It's very difficult to give him that authority in our life, and it's hard for us because rights are precious to us, aren't they? We love them and we treasure them. It's part of being prideful and independent people, and, and to make it worse, we're Americans, and we love our my rights and independence more than anybody else. And if that wasn't bad enough, we're Southerners on top of it. Southerners don't like to give their rights to anybody. Taking it from me, we hate to give authority away. But as much as we hate it, the best thing you can do in your life is to give the authority to Jesus Christ. It's the best decision you will ever make. And if you've already made that decision, the best decision after that is to struggle to give him more and more of the authority in your life. I know it hurts. It hurts our pride. It insults us. But it's good for us. Because honestly, I don't know what's good for me. And you don't know what's good for you because we don't know the end game of all this. And be honest with me. There's a little quick quiz here. You don't have to answer it. At least not out loud. How many times have you gone after what you wanted and it blew up in your face? More times than I, I, I even want to remember. We don't always know what's good for us. But Christ knows exactly what it is we need. You know, as kids, we live under the authority, right? We live in the authority of our mothers, and there is a lot our mothers make us do that we hate. You know, go to bed, make your bed, comb your hair, eat your vegetables. Don't sit so close to the TV. Get off of your phone. And we hate it. We hate it when our moms did it to us. Just remember what it was like. We hate it when our moms did it to us. But looking back, it was good for us. We know it was good for us. And we know the worst thing our mom could have done was to let us have our own way about everything. But she didn't. She didn't because she loved you too much to let you get your own way. And it actually goes past childhood too. Sometimes, at least into early adulthood, mom's got to step in and protect you from yourself. I remember when I, just newly out of college, my brother and I decided to start our own business. We were going to paint houses. I don't know. It wasn't really a real business. We didn't even register with anybody. Nobody knew we were doing it. But we were in this business. We were taking work. We were painting houses. And we didn't really plan it out very well. 
we didn't count the cost. And what I mean by that is the taxes. You know I had to come back to taxes, right? I'm going to come back to taxes again. And I didn't realize the incredible tax burden for somebody who wants to have their independent business. The government makes it very, very difficult for a small business to operate just with a tax burden alone. And I'm not going to get into that. The important thing is, is <laughs> after about a year of operating like this, the tax bill came due, and I didn't have the money. I didn't have the money, and more and worse than that, I was hanging out with a bunch of libertarians, and <laughs> yeah, they had convinced me I shouldn't have to pay my taxes anyway. So I thought this was a good time to make a stand against the government. I was going to stand up to him. I was not going to pay my taxes. I was going to make this statement. And in, in my head, it was like this Henry David Thoreau moment, you know, when he spent a night in jail over not paying his taxes. I was real excited about this. But then my mom found out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, and she ruined it. She made me pay my taxes. I mean, nothing can take the wind out of the sails of social disobedience or rebellion more than a mom finding out, you know. Hey, guys, we're going to go storm the state house. We got our guns. You coming with us? Nah, my mom won't let me. She found out about it. That's exactly what happened. I was a real sorry rebel. I wasn't that good. But looking back, I'm glad she did it. I'm glad she did. Because who knows what the ramifications might have been for, our, for my life. I mean, chances are maybe the IRS wouldn't have noticed one kid in South Carolina not paying his taxes. But also, could have been years later when my wife and I were trying to buy a house for the first time, something pops up and says, oh, guess what? IRS still wants their money. But it's the same with God, you know. Same with God. We don't always get what he does. We don't always agree with it. We don't always understand it, and sometimes it hurts, and sometimes we really hate it, but one day I know we're going to stand with him, we're going to look back, and we're going to say, thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that thing for me, even when it really hurt. Thank you, God, for not giving me what I wanted. Thank you letting me live under your authority. You know, it's true that moms never get thanked in the moment. It doesn't happen. At least not in our house, it doesn't. Anytime the mom is trying to do what's right for her kids, it's always, why do you hate me? This is awful. It's terrible. I want to get out of this house. And I wish I could say, like in their early 20s, that's when they come around and recognize that you did it for their own good. But moms, you got to wait even longer. Because usually in their 20s, that's when the kids go to their therapist and blame all the problems on you. But they do come around. They do come around and we'll thank you for you loving them enough that you didn't always give them what they wanted. So I want to take this time to say, Mom, thank you. Thank you for looking out for me. Thank you for using your authority for good even when I didn't want you to. And for all you moms who do that, thank you for using your authority for good even when your kids don't want you to. And what it can mean for us today is we can use that experience that we had with our mothers to trust God now. To trust God and the authority in Christ that what he is doing is for our good. 
so every day we can give him complete reign of our life until he is the all in all, until Jesus Christ is the one authority that reigns over us. To God be all the glory forever and ever.